Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Shane Whaley. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Tourpreneur Podcast. Today's guest is going to share with us how he started his walking tour from scratch with zero experience in the tours and activities industry. He'd worked out in Southeast Asia in marketing, in the health and fitness industry. He came back to the States and he thought to himself, why are there no walking tours in our town? There's so much history here. There's so much going on. And he took the plunge and he started his own walking tours. So this episode today is the story behind Salida walking tours and the first two years of Steve's business. And he's very genuine. He's very authentic, incredibly honest with us when he shares the imposter syndrome he had. You know, he's coming, like many of you that started your tours, you all came from different industries. And that first day leading your first tour, he also shares with us how using his marketing background, he was able to promote his tours, what he does to um, listen to his customers, to his guests, to find out what they like about the tour, what they don't like about the tour, and some of the pivots that he's made including when he changed the title of one of his tours and that massively impacted the bookings for the tour. So that there was a lot packed into this hour. I think you're going to really enjoy it. And again, I really appreciate Steve's honesty um, in this candid conversation that we have. Before we cross over to Steve, I've got a massive favor to ask you. I would love it if you enjoy today's show or any of our back catalog episodes, please share it with a peer, with a colleague, with a friend. I'm really trying to grow Tourpreneur. Um, the numbers are great so far. As you know, I, I don't have a marketing budget for this, right? So the podcast has grown purely through word of mouth, and I'm very grateful. But if you can continue to keep passing the pod and letting people know that Tourpreneur is out there, um, I would be very, very grateful. Let's cross over to Steve Chapman. <laughs> Steve Chapman, episode 61 of Tourpreneur of Salida Walking Tours. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, Shane. How are you today? Great. I'm, I'm really excited to get to chat to you. I've read quite a lot about your tours and, and watched your YouTube videos and interviews and seen you in costume. So I'm really intrigued to dive into your business and your story here, Steve. So first of all, I, I should ask you, why Salida? And, and Shane, first, before we get in, thank you. I really appreciate you having me here today. And I'm, I'm very grateful for what you're doing. Your website, uh, your materials have been a wonderful resource for a startup company. So thank you for what you're doing. Um, as far as Salida, I've lived in Colorado since 1992, but my background was actually as a strategic marketing consultant. Uh, I lived in Southeast Asia a lot uh, when I wasn't in Colorado. 
But in um, 2018, I sold my business and, and needed a new gig. Salida is Colorado's largest national historic district. We have 136 buildings preserved from 1880 to 1910. It's a tourist town. And one of the things I always wondered is why no one promotes the heritage, the history. So after selling my company, uh, looking for something new to do, I started exploring walking tours. And Shane, I had zero background in the tour business. Um, In fact, I've always kind of been behind the scenes. I was a strategist worked on the marketing side. So being customer facing, being a performer, an entertainer, being a tour guide was all brand new territory for me. But when I looked around, the one thing I saw missing in this tourist town was a walking tour, was someone guiding people through the history, through the stories. And I decided to take a shot and uh, began experimenting in 2018 with a very rinky dink website and just a shadow of a business plan. I found that there was a huge desire, not only among tourists, but among locals. And from there, the the business kind of exploded. Let me just rewind that a little bit. I mean, very interested in in the origin of the tour and how you got started. I think we have a lot of tourpreneurs in waiting that listen to the show who are in that situation right now. So you obviously have, you know, very solid marketing background. You know your stuff there. Did you not sit down and think, well, if no one else is, is running walking tours here in Salida, there must be a reason for that. Did you have that doubt or did you just think, whoa, gap in the market here? Both. Uh, initially, I started researching and wondering why. why. Why is no one doing this? I took a look at a lot of other cities. I've taken similar tours. And what it really boiled down to was no one had really thought to, to do such a business. Now, this is a small town. Uh, our town is only about 5,200 people. Uh, the entire county is only about 10,000, but it's a, a tourist mecca. So I think part of it was just the fact that the the populace who was here uh, had not conceived of the idea. Uh, Unlike a big city where tours are a very common thing, it it was new. And historically, Salida is a relatively new tourist town. We've really only started exploding in tourism about the last 10, 15 years. So I was certainly wondering why no one was doing it. Then the other was, why not? You know, why why not take a chance and and see what happened here? But I did a lot of homework amongst locals, uh, the museums, tangential businesses such as bicycle tours or rafting companies in this area. And it looked like a solid opportunity. And I just decided to take a shot with it. And were those businesses generally supportive of your idea? Uh, Yes and no. Uh, I can tell you honestly in the beginning, uh, now this is a very small town. and, And for those who have never lived in a small town, change is not always welcome. So initially, there was some skepticism. There was some humor that we were going to actually have tours here. But very quickly, when the locals saw the intention, which was to honor the history, we have a 140-year history in Salida, that we were going to do it very respectfully and professionally, then we were very quickly embraced. The other thing that we did was to fully immerse ourselves not just using the tours commercially, but to use them to help nonprofit organizations, to help schools, and to help the area in general, uh, economically and in terms of publicity. Was there anybody in the town that you want to give a shout out to that was incredibly supportive? Absolutely. There there were a couple of people. There was a gentleman named Jack Chivas. Jack is retired now. He used to do a, a form of a tour, maybe once or twice a year, mainly for schools. 
When I first started investigating, the people at the museum, uh, Larry Kavasik, uh, Earl Kittleman, uh, they, they mentioned this gentleman to me and said, he's the guy that knows a lot of the information, particularly things that are not recorded in history books, the architecture, some of the backstories. And when I approached Jack, he was incredibly gracious. He gave of his knowledge. He had some wonderful suggestions on how to organize the business and how to run it. And he's become a, a solid mentor for me. Uh, the folks that I mentioned at the museum have been incredible. There's a, a bit of research I can't find. They certainly always dive in. And then the community as a whole has opened up. The business owners have allowed me to go into some of the buildings uh, on the tours. And we've created a really wonderful win-win scenario where the tours flourish, but we can also expose the downtown businesses to tourists, to people who may not normally go in. And uh, then finally, the nonprofit organizations. We use the tours a lot for fundraisers, uh, which you know gives us promotion and it gives them free money. Yeah, it's funny. I'm just back from the Caribbean and there was one tour in, in, uh, in Nassau in Bahamas, great place. And they took us to a tea shop where you could buy loose tea from the islands and then another place where you could buy rum because they do good rum out there. And first of all, I thought, oh, this is, you know, is this really, they're just trying to rinse me of cash here. But when you go in, the difference was the businesses had real stories about how they got set up and their history and the history of the rum and how it was made. And it, they integrated it in a way that I felt was, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm not feeling that they just brought me in here to kind of, you know, get me to, to pay for their wares, as it were. Exactly. And, and that's really what we've tried to do is to not just uh, bring visitors into businesses to spend money, but we weave the history of their building or a unique story into having a purpose for the stop. Absolutely. Um, so let, let's go back to those early days. So you've done your research. You know, Okay, I feel that there is a need here. There is a gap in the market. What were some of the hurdles that were in your way in terms of any red tape or licensing and, and getting started? We didn't have any red tape in regards to licensing. This area is pretty uh, laissez-faire. Uh, the biggest hurdle, Shane, was, was just not knowing what the heck I was doing. <laughs> I've never run a tour business. I've never been a performer. And this is performance entertainment to, to an extent. I've never been customer facing. So it was all brand new to me. And I, one of the things I've learned long ago is there's probably an answer somewhere. So I began diving into all the amazing resources from Tourpreneur to some of the Facebook pages to uh, other business owners and really just start picking brains, taking information, seeing what fit in our situation, what did not. And then a lot of trial and error. Uh, I, I can tell you realistically, probably 75% of this business is different than when we started two years ago. In which way? The website, we've gone through three iterations, getting bigger, learning more, uh, watching analytics and numbers, seeing what works and what doesn't, looking at hundreds of designs from very successful companies. Uh, the route, you know, some of the things I thought would be interesting did not resonate with the public. Um, the things that uh, I thought wouldn't resonate have. Learning <laughs> marketing, for instance, uh, you know, between marketing locally and marketing on the internet. It, it, uh, it's been a constant evolution. Want to connect with other tourpreneurs? Then join our Facebook group at tourpreneur.com forward slash Facebook. I'm curious to understand how you went about soliciting that feedback on your tour routes. You were saying some areas weren't as successful as others. How did you acquire that feedback? Uh, for a couple of things. One is just talking to people after a tour. 
and just say, hey, t- you know, tell me what you like, what you didn't like. And um, I have found as a marketing consultant, business owners are very fearful of asking that question because they might hear something they don't want to hear. But I would rather know the, the, the negatives. I would rather have my feelings hurt a little and improve than to sit in a bubble thinking I have it all figured out and wondering why people are coming back. The other, I took a technique, the New England Patriots. Now, I like to take techniques from, from any business. Bill Belichick has done something very interesting. He has all of his assistant coaches, every single game, they have to manually go down and break down every single play in pencil. And what he's doing is analyzing. One, it teaches them the game intricately, but it also gets such a, an up-close and personal feel with every single position in play that they know it better than anyone. So I started applying that to the tours. After each tour, I would sit and maybe take 15 or 20 minutes and walk through. Where did people laugh? Where did they lose their attention? Where were they checking their phones? And then I also, twice a year, and I forget the, the name of the technique he uses, but I go back and write out the entire tour step by step, word for word. And now we're, we're not necessarily reciting a script. I would say it's, it's uh, scripted impromptu. But there are certainly things we want to cover. And what I find periodically is I've either cut out something that was interesting or funny uh, or I've added something new. So in this way, it's continually evolving. It's it's keeping myself and the guides very on top of what is happening, what's working. And as a result, if we find something isn't resonating, we cut it quickly. We're, We're merciless in that regard. Or if we stumble across a line or a joke or a little tidbit of historical fact or on the ghost tours, something spooky that resonates, then we can add that in pretty quickly as well. I really like that approach because I'm not sure if it's being British or not, but whenever, <laughs> whatever it is, if I'm in a restaurant, if my meal is really bad, I'll say, oh, it was great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I know there are people out there who are very forthright with their opinions, but I think most of us are a little bit, maybe if we get an email survey afterwards, we might be a bit more honest. But if someone puts me on the spot, Outside of tours now, outside of what I'm doing. But so I like that you're assessing, you know, where people may be zoning out or where the laughs are and where the gasps are. I think that's, that's really good advice for everyone listening in today, Steve. You know, Shane, it's one of the things I learned in my years as a marketing consultant was that inherently people want to be nice and inherently people do not want to be the bad guy. But when they are in a safe environment where they're not going to feel threatened or feel defensive, they'll talk very candidly. So typically what we do, even now at the end of the tour, one of the things we do is to let people know if if you've not had a wonderful experience, I hope you'll take time afterwards and visit for a second, show us how we can improve. Uh, If you have, you're going to get a a survey request. Uh, We hope you can write a review. It kind of opens the door. And I would say about 50% of the time, guests will hang out just to chit chat, just to talk. We make recommendations on restaurants. But very casually, our guides are taught to weave into the conversation particular moments. Like, I'm curious, when we discuss this this building or this story, what did you think of that? And as long as they're not made to feel defensive or that you're going to be combative or try to explain things away, I have found that people want to help improve. They want to be a hero. And, and if you've built a good relationship over the course of an hour or two, why would they not want to help you? Yeah, it's so true. In fact, I observed last week on the cruise that one of the tours I was on, and I won't name them because I'm, I'm not really into that, but you know, he was a really good guide during the tour, but in the down moments, he completely shut off. And you know, I know it's tough, right, on these on tour guides because it, it's hard work, but you're still on for that whole entire time. And I just thought, ah, now I have a different impression of him than I did during the tour. 
And that was a learning curve for me. It's, it's interesting that you brought that up. I do still guide tours. I have guides myself. But one of the things I learned early on was I was doing exactly that. I was on or I was off. And what actually opened my eyes, we work with a lot of companies uh, such as Airbnb, and they have a rating. One of the ratings they look at is personal interaction. And that was the only area where we were rating low. Our expertise was high, the, the tour was high, but we weren't connecting individually. And that made me realize, just relax. These are just people just like yourself. They, they know it's a job. They know that you're performing. But there's nothing wrong with getting to know people. So we started building in. Uh, we have several parts of our tour where there may be you know, a minute or two uh, between locations. And we just start asking basics. Where are you from? How are you doing? The other thing that we uh, adjusted was at the beginning of the tour. We spend a warm-up period three or four minutes at the beginning uh, where everyone introduces themselves. We find out where they're from and we try to make some connection. Either I know someone that lives there or we visited there. If we've never heard of it, to give them a moment to, to share something fun about where they're from. And in that regard, we, we start setting the table to have a friendly exchange as opposed to a business transaction. Yeah, makes a huge difference. It, it really does. And, I, and we have a lot more fun as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there was a guy out in Salt Lake City, a, a tour I did back in November, and he was superb at that. I did a city tour and he asked everyone where they're from. And he always tied something into someone's state, which was, was really fun. It made you feel like he'd really listened and was interacting with us. Just changing tracks a little bit. So you're the only game in town, right? So you set up your walking tour. You don't have the walking tour background in, in business. How did you then come up with a pricing structure? Because it's not like, oh, well, them down the road, they're, they're charging 30 bucks, so I'll go in at 25 or 29 or 31 or whatever. So that is a question I get a lot here at the Tourpreneur headquarters is on pricing. So how did you go about structuring that? Shane, we're still e evolving in that regard. Part of it is I looked at similar markets. For instance, Aspen is about two hours away from here. Durango is about four hours. They're a little bit larger cities, but they're in the mountains. They're tourist towns. So part of it was just researching what's working well from others who have been around 10 or 15 years, mimicking that a bit. And the rest is testing. Uh, we're constantly testing. Coming from my, my marketing strategy background, I'm a believer that you keep tweaking pricing all the time. There's a fine point. There's a price so high that they'll go, nah. But there's a price that's just low enough that they'll go, hmm, if it's a good value, it's worthwhile. And, and it's constantly figuring out where that is. I, I don't have it nailed down. We've learned to do seasonal pricing, which we weren't doing in the beginning. So our prices are definitely higher from our peak season, which is May 1st until about Labor Day, the beginning of September. We've tweaked prices a bit on weekends versus weekdays. I don't have what I would say a comfortable handle yet. My gut, just based on past experience, is we're probably still undercharging. And I find most businesses tend to undercharge rather than overcharge. Yeah, that's definitely what, what I'm finding with talking to some of our listeners, exact same boat. And then they're putting it up by a couple of bucks and they're not seeing a drop in bookings either, which, you know, it makes a big difference to the bottom line, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, even a 20% increase. So let's say you have a $30 tour, an extra $6. The reality is for an average consumer probably isn't going to make a difference if you deliver. And, and that's the key. You could probably raise it 50% if you deliver. Yeah. And what I would say to any of our listeners out there, that if you have ideas on pricing strategy, some case studies, I'd love to invite you onto the show because folks like Steve and myself are all ears when it comes to pricing and very much welcome experts and people who've gone through this onto the show. So, so drop me an email. Never miss an episode of the show. Subscribe at torpreneur.com forward slash subscribe.
I want to talk about the first tour you led. Talk me through that morning, you know, so you know that day you've got your first <laughs> tour. How, how did you feel? Terrified. Yeah. There, there's no other word. Uh, I have never been, not just nervous, I was terrified. I've never done anything of this sort in my life. Now I've been in you know, sales, I've, I've uh, spoken before people, but this was very different. It is. I have suddenly such an immense respect for performers whether they're comedians or musicians, because, yeah, we're in the tour business. But when I finally realized that the true core, we're in the entertainment business. That's really what we're in. You have to be on. It doesn't mean you're fake, but you're, you're being paid to entertain people for an hour or two. And that's, that's um, very naked. It's very vulnerable. You are exposed. You know immediately what is and is not working. If you think you have a great joke and you hear crickets, that's, uh, that's a punch to the gut. Or if someone's checking out their cell phone at what you thought was a very interesting story, that is immediate feedback. So I was flat out terrified. Part of it was just learning how to engage, how to pace, how to present. And that's been an evolution. But I cannot recall a time in my life, probably since elementary school on the school play, that I have been so frightened in front of someone. Yeah, I, I can relate to that a little bit in terms of tourpreneur. So when I started this, you know, in my previous life, a bit like you, I worked for big companies. I know I worked for Booking.com. I worked at Get Your Guide. So when I went to conferences or events or spoke, I was kind of hiding behind that company, right? Because it's a big name. But when it's just Steve Chapman, Shane Whaley, like you're on your own. And it's, it is scary, isn't it? Because you, you can't hide behind anything. There's no safety net. I mean, no. you fail, you fail. And it's immediately obvious. And I have had failures. So. And how do you react to those failures? I mean, how do you self-evaluate? How do you go about doing that to make sure you learn from those mistakes? You know, I've evolved on that, Shane. Early on, uh, my ego hurt and I took it personally. And then I started realizing, wait, uh, th this isn't about me. What, whatever didn't work is because of me. Either I said the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way or it wasn't appropriate, or it didn't resonate, or it wasn't <laughs> interesting, or I wasn't as funny as I thought. So that's where that, that Belichick technique of going back and breaking down every tour, and even if it's a two-minute recap as you're going to lunch, just quickly replaying in your head what did work and what didn't work, and doing that objective, taking ego out of it, realizing it's not about you. It, it's about the customer. Did they get what they expected? That made a huge transition. And, and again, I'll give you a couple of specific examples. Early on, I was too rigid. You know, my tour is my tour, and you're going to listen to what I have to say. And, and sometimes people wanted to joke or they wanted to chit chat with each other. And I took offense. You know, you're paying me to entertain you. And how dare you not pay attention to my amazing words? And I realized I missed an opportunity to engage. Maybe they had something interesting to contribute. Maybe it was funny. So I, I call it impromptu scripting. You know, we, we certainly have stops and things we want to talk about, but we build a lot of opportunity to interact and engage. And what happened, Shane, is it started becoming a lot more fun. And, and the other thing was doing that and doing the pre-warm-up gave me a lot more room to engage that occasional inappropriate guest or a comment that's out of line because you're building that trust and friendship rather than being rigid. So that, that's been a constant evolution. As a result, I can tell you, we have a lot more fun than two years ago. And, and the guests certainly do, and, and it's showing. Our bookings are going up, our reviews are going up, and it was more of a mindset, just realizing uh, I am here for them, not the other way around. And, and I, 
frankly, I did not totally get that. I think it's tough because, you know, let, let's look at the Patriots, right? And I, I'm tell my accent. I don't know a huge amount about American football, but I was reading something the other day from Tom Brady, who I understand is the man they love to hate. And he was saying, you know, about all the mistakes he made, at, I think at college level, and he was told, you know, you, you're not going to make it. And of course, he became a superstar. And my point here is, you know, if this was in your marketing career, you know, you've studied that, you have a degree in it, you've worked in it. So when we launch a tour business, I think we just have to be honest with ourselves that we haven't trained, most of us have not trained for this or gone to school for it. And we are going to make those mistakes early on. And like you said, it's about you know, not having that ego in the way, just going, it's like with tourpreneur, I'm not a journalist. I never went to journalism school. I have to listen to every episode and not beat myself up when I think, oh, I've missed, a, I missed that follow-up question uh, there or I didn't get to the real story. I think it's the same when we first start tours, isn't it? It's like, okay, just realize it's a brand new gig. You're just starting out. It's like being 18 again. Absolutely. And, and one of the things I brought over from my, my marketing career, one of my early mentors taught me the fundamental mistake in relationships and business. He had an acronym that's called ITTYTWIT, which stands for I think, you think, what I think. So if, if I would react in a certain way to what you said, then I'm assuming that's why you're doing it. In other words, be humble. Realize it's not about you. It's not you-centric. I think you think what I think is a mistake. Early on, when someone would interrupt or they would get sidetracked, if it were me, it meant I had no interest. And I realized sometimes it just meant they wanted to contribute to be part of the show. And so I had to start developing a different mindset and teaching that with our guides to realize we, we want this to be interactive performance, not unilateral, not, not talking to, but talking with. Have you ever considered or did you consider early on improv lessons? <laughs> no, but I have read on it. Uh, so that, that's really interesting. One of the early things I did when I figured out that this was a performance business, I started reading everything I could about performance. I read on how Disney designs their tours. I did read about improv. I read a lot of books uh, on improvisation. I started studying acting and, and performing because I realized that this isn't a museum. We're not a docent that's just drolling out facts. We're entertaining. So while I didn't take lessons, I did read a lot on improv. More importantly, though, Shane, what I did was to start studying comedians because I found that the great comedians, I, I watched a lot of interviews with Jerry Seinfeld and some of these others, nothing is left to chance. It all sounds impromptu. It all sounds off the cuff. But the reality is they have weighed every word, every action. And if it doesn't work, they're brutal and they cut it out or they change it. And uh, we started applying that to the tours uh, pretty early on. That's a really good analogy. I remember reading somewhere that Robin Williams used to go to San Francisco comedy clubs under a different name and just try out his, his material and he would gauge how the audience would react. And I guess it's the same with, with what you've just suggested, isn't it? That it's, you know, working out the laughs, the groans, when people zone out. Absolutely. And, and we still do a lot of that. You know, like with any tour business, you have times when there's huge crowds and times when there's two or three people. When it's two or three, there's a lot more time and there's a lot more room to experiment. So we, we train our guides to use those smaller groups as an opportunity to experiment a little bit. Maybe try a new way, maybe try a new joke, maybe uh, experiment a little bit and engage some reaction. Because two or three people, they can't hide in a group. And you know right away if something's working. You have 15 or 20 people. You can't always read. You're, you're going to read maybe that 20% that are very interactive and that are front-facing. But there's the majority are kind of hiding in the back. So we, we do that a lot with the 
small groups to try and experiment uh, and test material, just like the comedians. How did you get the word out about your tours initially? <laughs> Going back to the terrifying thing, <laughs> uh, I was terrified. We, we tried everything. Um, we put brochures on cars and parking lots. Wow. We ran Facebook ads. We had a terrible website. I mean, it was up, but it wasn't great. And you know, the online stuff, I mean, that can take six months to start hitting. We went to local businesses, hotels, tell them about the tours. One of the more successful things that we did, now this, this works really well in a small community, but I don't know why it wouldn't work in a larger one. Because in my opinion, larger communities are just a lot of small communities left together. We needed exposure more than money. I mean, you need money, but if you don't have anyone aware of your business, you know, it's, it's useless. So we started a program of giving away uh, a tour once a month for a nonprofit. And the exchange was we will give 100% of the tour uh, proceeds, so everything. We're not even holding out for overhead. In exchange, you need to do a press release. You need to promote to your members. And we would contact the local newspaper to, to cover that. So the nonprofit received free money. And for nonprofits, it's a constant battle. We received exposure. But more importantly, we got reviews. And that's really what I realized we needed. We had to have reviews to make that online machine start working. And then we started building referral sources because if we delivered a great tour, and we, we've been very fortunate to have almost five-star ratings across the board, people remember that. So when they have guests come to town, they would start talking about it. And we began creating a viral buzz where people were talking to one another. They were talking to friends. They were bringing out-of-towners. They were writing about it online. So it was really just trying to find a way to get exposure. And for us, giving a little made a huge impact. It's also a, a good thing to do in a community. It makes you a very valuable resource uh, rather than just someone is taking. But what was in it for us was exposure, getting reviews and, and getting in front of potential referrals. Sure. And what would you say has been the biggest game changer for you in terms of marketing since you started up in 2018? Two things. One was, was figuring out the online component of tourism marketing. And I certainly understood online a bit from other, other businesses, but tourism marketing is very different. Getting the reviews rolling. Reviews are, are just lifeblood. A lot of them and keeping them constantly fresh. Learning how to get reviews really started changing the inbound bookings that we received. The other was finding ways to be relevant outside of the tours. So for instance, we started producing radio vignettes, uh, little 60-second history vignettes for radio stations and, and allowing nice. them to sell those. Uh, we began writing books on, on history. In other words, making ourselves a resource, but it's subtle marketing. It's subtle ways to be in front of people that's not beat you over the head advertising. Video series, we work with the, uh, the Visitors Bureau, and we produce 30- and 60-second history vignettes to help promote the county. So finding a lot of non-commercial commercials what was really important as well. But if I had to just nail down one thing, it was making sure we had a lot of reviews and finding the, the sources that worked best for us. For us, it's Facebook and Google. Um, the, the others are nice, but we found they did not move the needle, the needle as well uh, as those two, particularly Google. And in terms of bookings online, are you, are you working with a booking platform provider so that you can take those bookings? You know, uh, starting off in a shoestring, we had to go cheaper than cheap. And while I certainly criticize them occasionally for, for our little business, we found Wix to be an amazing platform. We can build our own sites. Their booking platform costs nothing. 
So Wix has a booking platform where you can take bookings for your tours? Absolutely. We're 100% on there. You build your website. It's a booking platform. There's a mobile app. I always like to put proper disclaimers. I certainly have some, some complaints periodically, particularly as they're growing. But all in all, it's inexpensive. You control your website. And the booking I have found is dynamic. There's no percentage. You're not paying a fee for it. It's just whatever your credit card provider is. Uh, but beyond that, it, it doesn't cost us a dime. And we've found it to be very flexible. We can put as many tours on there as we want. We can change them on the fly. So, so for us, it's been very useful. Now, I could envision possibly getting to a size where maybe that wouldn't work, but I'm doubtful. So far, they, they've been able to, to provide everything we needed. Wow. You're the first person that I've spoken to who I, I didn't actually know that they had a booking platform. And so now I'm kind of wondering in my head, what would be some of the things that I'm sure you get called by other res tech companies all the time, right? Yeah. And is there anything they've ever said to you about either where they've said, oh, Wix doesn't deliver A, B, and C or something that they offer that Wix doesn't? Is, is there anything that you ever thought, oh, they may have a point there? Yeah, the, the biggest problem, and it's the same problem I have with the, whether it's TripAdvisor or Airbnb, is none of them allow for seasonal adjustments of pricing. It's, it's either or. So in other words, right. you can't set up a summer pricing schedule and a winter pricing schedule. TripAdvisor doesn't allow that. Airbnb doesn't. Wix doesn't. That's the biggest hole in, in the game of all of those, in my opinion. What it means is I have to wait to the last possible second and then switch over to summer pricing, but I miss out on some advanced bookings. In fact, I just was uh, communicating with Airbnb about that recently. Like, guys, you're, you're missing the market. I can't make weekend adjustments, uh, like hotels, for instance. Hotels certainly adjust their prices automatically. And that is the one thing my booking platform does not allow that I wish it would. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just, but I'm just looking at the booking flow now on, on your site, and it looks very clean to me. It's clean. It's easy. So you click book now. You pick uh, the date and time. You fill out maybe a half dozen pieces of info, and you pay. You're done. And it's all automated. So you get an automatic email confirmation. You're set up for a confirm 24 hours ahead of time. And my guides can adjust in the field. So there's check-in components, there's no-show components, there's a lot of things that are very useful for us as a field company. Sure. I guess the one thing that distracts me a little here, just put myself in the shoes of a, of a booker, is you have the dates, but then you have all staff, staff member one, Steve. So it's good that I can pick you, because I've probably seen you on YouTube or read one of your interviews, but staff member one would be a little confusing to me. If you're seeing that, that means uh, an error on our end. We're actually updating okay. some tours. So there's probably something we have not updated. Uh, typically, you do not see that. Sure. Okay, cool. That, but other than that, it looks like a very clean way of taking a booking. And you mentioned Airbnb. So in terms of your distribution mix, in terms of third parties and who you're partnering with, what does that look like for you? Yeah, and I, I have to uh, to say very candidly, I'm not a fan of OTAs. Okay. Uh, I found them unresponsive. I found them, if you look online, I'm a huge critic. I, I blast them constantly. They're unresponsive. They certainly don't keep small operators in mind. I don't agree that they're a necessary evil. For, we, we've spent a lot of time and effort to make them gravy as opposed to relying on them. One of the things I've learned is that most people want easy. But easy, I have found, makes you vulnerable. So uh, I look at a lot of companies that were relying solely on TripAdvisor, for instance. Well, when there's changes, you can be out of business very quickly. And, and this hit us hard when Viator and TripAdvisor merged a year or so ago and combined platforms. Our tours disappeared overnight. They were gone. 
And it took four months for them to figure out the coding error. And it was on their end. Well, that showed me right away to never again count on TripAdvisor or any OTA. So we spent a lot of time creating our own systems to get business, whether it's website, aggressive use of the internet, Facebook, personal referrals, business associations, and networking. And any of those that we get, it's just gravy business. You put a tremendous amount of control in the hands of people that, frankly, giant billion-dollar corporations do not care about me. That's just a fact. They care about my money. You know, if there's a problem, like right now, uh, even with Wix, one of my complaints, they, they switched to a new system and there is a problem that's been three months that they haven't resolved. Big companies are not responsive to individuals. They're responsive to corporate bottom lines. So while I see them as a necessary component of business, in my opinion, it is a mistake to rely on OTAs uh, as your sole source. Now, what that means, though, and, and coming from my marketing consulting background, you've got to do a tremendous amount of work on your own. They, they provide an easy solution, but again, an easy does not give you security. And I have found that most business owners might know their business really well, but they don't know, understand, or like certain components, whether it's marketing. For me, it's accounting. I hate accounting. So you have two choices. You can either outsource it or you can learn about it and invest the time. But one way or the other, it has to get done. So I, I leverage my marketing background aggressively, but I outsource the accounting because I can't stand numbers and I know it needs to get done. Absolutely. That's smart. In, in terms of the OTA, so you were working with Viator, when you were live with them, were they bringing you in decent business? And, and I am still with them. I'm just no right. longer relying on them. We work with all from Expedia, everyone. I have intentionally lowered that amount. I guess a better way to say it was I have increased my other booking sources and allow them to be whatever it is. If they drop to zero tomorrow, we're okay. If they jump up, we're okay, but I'm not relying on them. Yeah, I mean, I hear this from, from many of our listeners, and I think the big challenge right now, and, I, and as you know, I worked at an OTA for 20 years in hotels and in tours, and I remember my time at Get Your Guide, you know, the, the partners were segmented into, into levels or tiers, and if you are running a Statue of Liberty tour that's bringing in, you know, six figures for the OTA, then the red carpet comes out. But if Absolutely. you're like you at, at, at Salida, they don't have the staff to really cope with that. I don't think it's that they don't want to help you, it's that they don't really have the staff. They're also, to be fair, trying to crack that marketing code. Everybody is. It's all about discovery, and some of the OTAs, are, particularly Get Your Guide, are throwing a lot of SEM uh, Google AdWords money at it. But I, I still think they are trying to work out how that will work for the more provincial tours. And that is exactly the same thing happened. I, I had a, a great 10 years at booking.com and it was the same thing there where it's very easy to sell a London hotel, but one in the highlands of Scotland, a and b that was a whole different prospect. So I'm, I'm not defending the OTA here. I mean, it was always very tough for me as a sales director in the US where I would see emails coming in from small tour providers just did not have the market managers to actually cope with that. And they'd go off to head office and they'd get lost in the system or it'd take a while to get back. I think that's the case. And I, I am pleased to see a lot of the OTAs. In fact, one of my daily briefs I just sent out, you know, there was eight positions that Get Your Guide were hiring for in New York City, for instance. So it does seem that some of them are spending more money on beefing up their teams, certainly market managers. So I'm optimistic and hopeful in the future that they they will listen more to the little guys because, you know, that long tail is very important. And I'll give you an example of it. I was in Salt Lake City recently and, you know, Get Your Guide only had four products in the whole of Salt Lake City. TripAdvisor, uh, Viator had 68. So for me as a consumer, even as someone who tends to book Get Your Guide because I work there, I went to the opposition. Now, the thing is the opposition then have my 
details and they can market to me. And that, that's very dangerous. So that's where I think we may see some challenges in the future. But if they didn't fix your, your listing for four months, then I can understand why you're a bit cheesed off, shall we say? Yeah, the, the marketing side, I have no, no problem with it. They have the money and the expertise to do it better, faster, cheaper than I ever could. It's when there's a problem. Yeah. And, and they yeah. admitted there's a problem. They, I mean, it's in writing. We, we absolutely see the problem. We see it's on our end. But to not be able to fix something that isn't only affecting one company, the error was affecting a lot of companies. I researched online and found hundreds having the same issue. That can't happen. That, that's too problematic, which, which just told me, make this gravy business. You certainly need it. It's certainly out there, but don't be reliant on it. Understood. Especially with your marketing background, I'm curious to hear your opinion on, I'm reading that TripAdvisor are running tests on increasing prices of tours. Yeah, well, they're doing a lot of things that, that to me is problematic. One, um, they're de-emphasizing reviews for how a tour shows up. But if you pay them extra, they'll boost your tour, which to me, for a smaller company, immediately puts me at a huge disadvantage. You know, I have heard from people, I have not experienced it, that they are raising prices without letting the tour owners know. Are they paying additional commission on that? So let's say they jack your prices up by 10 bucks and they sell them. Are you getting a higher cut of that or you're... I have no idea. I'm, I'm, right. I'm not uh, educated enough on it. I'm okay. just reading threads uh, through Facebook groups. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. But again, I, it's what I was saying earlier is that, uh, and I used to work for major corporations. Major corporations worry about the bottom line first. Yes. To me, again, it's problematic, or at least communicate if you want to do it. You know, just say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why. But to, to blindside, to me, really hurts that trust and credibility issue. Clearly, I'm, I'm a little bit cheesed off, to use your quote. Uh, I'm just, I'm guarded. Uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very guarded anymore uh, from a lack of communication. And when you can't communicate and just say, hey, we still, we haven't resolved your problem, or we're experimenting in this ever-changing market, we have to remain profitable, as do you. This is what we're experimenting with. This is the markets we're doing it, or this is how long we're doing it. We would like your feedback. But to unilaterally do something without... Uh, any communication and without any advance notice, from my opinion, really hurts trust and credibility uh, with your vendors. No, I think that is a fair point because I actually think increasing prices of your tours is potentially a good way of, we talked about the challenges of pricing earlier on. And if they came back to you, if, of course, if they told you first and they come and say, hey, you know, we actually still sold the same amount of tours, right. jacking the price up by 20%, that's really good intel for you as a business. Like, oh, right. Okay. I, I can increase my prices. But I agree. It does seem a little off to me that they just do that without informing you. I agree on that. And I mean, there's so much, so many changes going on in that landscape. You know, the news recently that Viator becoming a brand again, and the whole management team has changed. And Ben Drew has come in, and now you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does with Viator as a brand and whether they're listening. Now, I know a lot of their directors and senior managers listen to the show, so we do want to do a series of Meet the OTA on Torpreneur, where I will gather questions like yours, Steve, and from various other us listeners and ask the OTAs to explain themselves. We'll see how many of them want to come on. <laughs> <laughs> that, that will be interesting. You may find a lot of suddenly not availables. Well, absolutely. I hope not. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, this is a great mechanism for them to listen to people like yourself who are in the trenches, on the front lines, and for them to make changes that they need to, that you feel, they, you know, because without you guys, they don't have a business. And, and I would love to rely on them more. The, the reality is the concept is beautiful because it makes marketing easy and fast. The reality for a smaller operator, and, and by that I'm saying, say, somebody doing less than a quarter million a year, is that I'm, I'm basically irrelevant. I don't have the pull. I don't have the economic impact to get attention. 
which means whatever happens, uh, I either have to accept or move on with. The, the problem is, and I do not know this for a fact, but I have a feeling if you looked at the numbers, collectively, the smaller operators have to have a huge percentage of their business. Yeah. We just don't have the, the economic voice, but I, I could be wrong on that. No, no, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, like I say, many of the OTAs will have tiers, and that will depend on how quickly somebody will respond to you. I'm, I'm hoping they fix that in the future. I certainly understand that in the great cosmic scheme of things, my tiny business is irrelevant. Just communicate. For instance, the, the thing that I had with TripAdvisor went three months. I never once received an update. I had to call them. If it's just every couple of weeks saying, hey, still working on it, haven't forgotten you, I'm happy. I mean, I'm not satisfied, but I at least know that I haven't disappeared in some great well. Um, it's the same issue I'm having with Wix right now. There's a booking platform issue. They admit it's a problem. They updated their systems, and we're in month two now. But I never get any feedback. I have to contact them. So for any company, communication is crucial. And to, to not recognize that, that even a standard customer service update goes tremendous is, is a huge oversight, in my opinion. Did you know every weekday Shane curates the most interesting news articles in tours and activities and sends them out in a snappy daily digest? Grab your copy of the Torpreneur Daily Briefing at www.torpreneur.com. You started off with one tour. Now you have one, two, three, four, five plus the private tours. And we've got another three or four that will be coming on by summer. Wow. So... Talk me through that expansion of your product lineup. How did that come about? Listening to customers. You know, Shane, when I started this, I, I was as ignorant as you could be. I had the idea of doing a, a history tour. That was it. I had never heard of ghost tours, for instance. I didn't even yeah. know such things existed. And as I started researching other companies and other markets, like, huh, that's interesting. Well, that became one of our biggest sellers very quickly. We kill a lot of tours. I, I probably have four that we've tried that didn't work for various reasons. I experiment every season with a new tour or two and see what works and what doesn't. To give you an example, the arrival uh, survey that went out was really eye-opening for me. I saw that I was missing a huge market segment, which is under 35s. History tours are older, and that's what I was catering to. The ghost tours were doing well, but the one component that I started noticing, and this is just listening on tours, whether it was the history tours or the ghost tours, People would make the same comment, and sometimes jokes are a subtle way of criticizing. And the comment was always, so are we going to stop for a beer? You know, whether it's the history tour or the ghost tour. And I realized there's a segment of the audience that wants some adult beverages mixed in. So we've rearranged a couple of things that have just launched, that history on tap tour, for instance. We used to have a two-hour history tour. It sold okay, but... Since we built in an extra half hour and stopped at a couple of bars, it sells really well. Uh, we created an adults-only ghost and murder tour. It's late at night, it's 21 and over, and we stopped for two, two drinks. That's been, that one took off virally. We posted it recently on Facebook. We've had thousands of hits already on this thing and shares for something I never considered. So it's really listening to the audience tweaking and, and not being afraid to make changes, not being afraid to kill something that's not working. I've, I've certainly pulled the plug on a few tours that I thought were wonderful, that the marketplace told me, eh, not so much. You know, initially I didn't want to deal with alcohol, but I realized there is a segment that it's an important part of their experience. So we, we keep tweaking and finding tours uh, that, that serve a need. And once we launch them, we watch carefully. You know, does it need to be improved? 
Does it need to be changed? Does it need to be rearranged, marketed differently? Or is it just a lousy tour? You know, for instance, we have one at, at a historic cemetery. Um, in other markets, they do well. This one bombed. It just did not sell. We keep it there, but we keep it more for special occasions and people that have a true interest as opposed to a mainstay. And I love how you, you changed from Murder and Mayhem tour to Ghost and Murder tour and the sales doubled. Yeah, so initially we, and I took this from another market, when I'm looking at names, there was a, a market, a uh, small market that they call their tour the Murder and Mayhem. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in stealing ideas. <laughs> Don't spend time and energy recreating the wheel. If someone is doing it, doing it well, take it. But very quickly, I started listening. And the way the customers referred to it was the Ghost and Murder tour. And I realized I was misnaming it uh, for, for people that had maybe had not done a ghost tour. When we changed the name, our bookings doubled. Just, just from the same tour, same exact tour with a new name. Because it clearly boiled down to exactly what it was. One of the big, big things from marketing I learned is, is keep it very simple. People come up with fancy names for tours or businesses. And the public, they not only do not, they not know what it is, they don't have the time to figure it out. Yeah. If you can't look at something and in one second, maybe two, know exactly what it is, and if you have an interest, it's probably too complex. So as soon as we switched it from a murder and mayhem tour uh, to a ghost and murder tour, boom, it, it took off and it's now our, our number one seller by far. It doesn't surprise me because in podcasting circles, this infuriates me, but ghost, murder, true crime podcasts are some of the most popular podcasts out there. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of downloads because a lot of people love hearing about true crime. They love hearing about ghost stuff, right? And that's, so it doesn't surprise me that tweaking that from murder and mayhem to ghost and murder would appeal to a lot of people. So very smart of you there. It, you know, it was a learning curve on my part. And, and as I've mentioned repeatedly, I, I experiment constantly and I'm, I'm not afraid to change something. And if it doesn't work, go back. There's this tendency in business, and when I was doing a lot of consulting, sometimes we're so close to it, we think the entire world is paying attention to every move, and they're not. The, the reality is you can change a name. If it doesn't work, change it again. People aren't constantly on your website looking all the time, every little change you've made. Unless they're shopping, they're not paying attention. So you can do a lot of thoughtful experiments, and, and you can do some rearranging and tweaking, uh, and watch the numbers. It either works or it doesn't. Yeah. At what point did you feel the need to start hiring tour guides? When I was exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, frankly, Shane, in the beginning, this was more something to do while I figured out what I wanted to do. You know, I had owned a business for 10 years. I sold it. I was no longer traveling internationally. I was too young to do nothing. It was just an interesting business for me. And as it took off, the first season was okay. The second season exploded. And at the end of this last season, at one point, I realized I had worked 71 straight days. I was exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I was fried. And I realized this, this can't continue. I either have to scale up or scale down, one of the two. And that's when I, uh, we actually expanded into another city. And that's where I hired my first guide. There's a city 30 minutes from here, Buena Vista. That's where I hired my first guide. I knew I needed that, that market strategically as much as anything. It's close enough that I did not want to allow a competitor to come in. So I put a tour there and hired a guide. This season coming up, uh, we'll have three extra employees here in Salida, uh, a couple of guides and some people helping us out in the field. But it, it really just boiled down to, to the uh, point where the quality was suffering, quality of life, quality of business, response times. And I, I hit the point where I was not enjoying myself. 
you know, when your first thought is great, another damn tour, it's time to make some change. And I, I realized I had hit that wall and had to either greatly scale up or greatly scale down. So we're 50 odd minutes into this. It's great talking to you. I'm always amazed how quickly time flies when I have these conversations. But are you ready for the speed round? Let's go for it. All right. What is a habit, trait, or characteristic you believe contributes to your success? Oh, being willing to make change. Mm -hmm. Being unafraid. You you have to be fearless. And I I mentioned that. I was looking at, and I know it's not exactly speedy, but I go through a lot of tour websites, and I'm amazed at how many have not updated their site in two or three or four years. The, The market changes too fast. You have to be fast on your feet and be willing and fearless about change. What is your biggest weakness? Oh, numbers. Accounting. I, I, I hate accounting. So staying on top of money and staying on top of numbers is something I have to outsource because I abhor it and I'm terrible at it. What is one question that you ask or look for during the interview process when hiring tour guides? I don't really, it's not so much a question. I'm looking for people that are fast on their feet and that I enjoy. I can teach a tour. I can teach you what to say. I can't teach you to be interesting or fun or witty uh, or personable. So really it's, it's looking for that Sammy Sunshine, Susie Sunshine, the kind of person that just makes people at ease right away and are fast on their feet. I can teach you the details. I can't teach you to think quickly. What keeps you awake at night? (laughs) That is a wonderful question. Wondering what's coming over the hill. And what I mean by that is if you're not always worried about losing your business, I think you're foolish. Whether it's a competitor, governmental changes, market changes, you know, OTAs, for instance. I'm always, it's one reason that we keep adding tours, changing tours, rearranging, is I want to position myself as best as I'm able to foresee and control to make sure I don't have any glaring vulnerabilities in the business. Interesting. A a little uh, tangent here, but since you started, you were the only game in town with walking tours. Have any competitors sprung up? Not yet. Okay, that's good. But A, it's a very small town, which, which helps. I'm sure that will happen eventually, which is why we keep adding different tours. For instance, we're, we're popping on some band tours later this year, uh, self-guided audio tours. I'm, I'm always looking for where we're vulnerable so that, that I can get there first and hopefully dissuade someone from, from making an attempt. We've also spent a tremendous amount of time building relationships. We're very involved in the community. And as a result, we've, we've developed intense loyalty. So much so, in fact, when we started the tours in Buena Vista, I was receiving messages on Facebook and phone calls asking, who in the hell is this person taking your idea? That's loyalty. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I spent a lot of time trying to build loyalty and to give back so that we are part of the community, not just uh, some transactional business. What is one book you recommend for other tourpreneurs? Anything on learning improv, thinking on your feet. If you think you're going to do a tour A to Z, that's never going to happen. You, you can do a tour 100 times and there's going to be 100 different iterations of the tour. I read a lot on the the Disney process, on how they develop tours and how they train the people in their parks to stay on script but be entertaining and flexible. So anything along those lines or um, reading about comedians and how how they design, it's not because you want to be funny, but they're in the word and entertainment business. And that's really what tours are. It's, It's words and entertainment. Do you recall the title of the Disney book? I think it's the Disney method, but I don't hold me to that. I'm, I'm not certain. I'll, I'll take a look and I'll add that to the show notes at tourpreneur.com forward slash 61. What about a podcast? What podcast, other than Tourpreneur, of course, do you recommend for, for other tour operators? Well, I, I listen to yours pretty heavily. 
I don't know that I rely on one other. What, what I do is to try to have a broad base uh, outside of the tour business. I, I think it's, it's problematic in most industries. It's become very myopic. We only think of our business. For instance, there's one that has nothing to do with tours, but it's, it's the Joe Rogan experience. Yes. But he has somebody, different walks of life, different, I mean, just different every single time. But I always learn. And for me, it tweaks my brain to think in a new way, better, faster, cheaper, more entertaining, more engaging, little tidbits. Inevitably, it triggers something that makes me think, how could I apply that to my business? Yeah. Because it really gets my brain out of a comfort zone and makes me challenge assumptions. Yeah. And I actually, I, I do listen to him on occasionally. I, I will pick and choose because his go three hours, right? So again, the interesting thing about Rogan, thinking about how we can apply things to our own business is, you know, some people say 30 minutes is enough for a podcast. Some people say an hour. He goes three hours. Mm-hmm. and. I have listened to some of those because they're engaging guests. And it's, I'm not thinking, oh, it's a three hour. It's like, no, no, I want to hear this interview. And I'm glad that he's going deep on this subject or topic. And the other thing that I, I love about Rogan, and I've tried to implement this in Tourpreneur, and definitely talking about imposter syndrome, is he will ask the question, if they come out with an acronym, he'll be like, well, what, what, what does OTA mean? Mm-hmm. What does that stand for? He will ask, whereas most of us will be like, I don't want to ask a dumb question. And I love that. And that's what I, I learned with Joe Rogan's show. Yeah, exactly. And I, just one specific that I, I took from him, you mentioned it. Some of his podcasts are an hour, some are three. He goes until it ends. Yeah. And that's where we started with our extended tours. The initial history tour, the Wild West history tour was an hour. And listening to him, I realized some people want depth. Some want a lot more. Now, we've had to experiment several ways to do it, but we now have a tour that's about two, two and a half hours. It's not our biggest seller, but it's very profitable. And that's actually listening to that triggered me to think, huh, there are people who want more than the greatest hits. Why, why not figure out a way to do that? So that, that's what I mean about getting me out of my traditional thinking and comfort zone is individuals like that who have everyone on from a comedian to a UFC fighter to a proponent of medical mushrooms definitely challenges assumptions and makes you think differently. And yeah. it can kind of trigger that creative part of your brain that, that might find a, uh, a solution for something that wasn't a straight line. I just I just love your advice here about getting out of our own bubble and looking at other industries and how they do things because it is very hard to stay in our bubble. And right now I've, I've just picked up a book. I'll have to add it to the show notes. It's written by a guy who runs restaurants and about the guest experience. And I heard him on an interview on a podcast and he was saying, look, today guests at restaurants, you're in the hospitality industry because people can use Seamless or whatever these food delivery companies are and have their steak dinner delivered at home and they can watch Netflix. You've got to make when someone comes through your restaurant door, you've got to roll the red carpet out and do all these different things. I was like, wow, yeah, this, this, this is the same for tours in many ways. People want to be you know, really treated well and made to feel like they're an insider, et cetera. So I love their advice about getting outside of the industry sometimes. And, and Shane, if I can add a point on that, one of the, but I talk about reading or listening to a lot of things that have nothing to do with my business that, that inevitably trigger something. Um, the Israeli government designed something years ago and, and I forget the exact name for it, but when they do a plan, they had a plan years ago that was foolproof, except it wasn't. So now in any of their planning meetings, there's one person designated to attacking the plan. And they, they taught me a phrase, what if I'm wrong? And, and too often we have these grand plans and these wonderful schemes and we know we've got it all figured out and we never stop and ask, what if I'm wrong? So no matter what their plans are, there is one individual and one team whose entire job is to say you're wrong and we're going to prove it. So I do that a lot 
for the marketing analysis and, and anything is once the plan is there, then I look from the other direction, say, how would I tear it apart? If I'm competing, how would I destroy me? And look for the holes. What, what if I'm wrong? It gets you out of that assumptive mode and it gets you out of that comfort zone that's very easy to do because it doesn't make us work. And that the mode is, I got it all figured out. I got this. But the, the reality is you might be wrong. And I find it humbling and I find it keeps us light and it keeps us constantly evolving. What is one piece of technology or an app you've adopted that has had the biggest impact on your business? Uh, most recently, I came across um, an app for electronic waivers. Uh, we were doing waivers with pen and paper in the beginning. Uh, it made things confrontational. You know, we're, from the beginning of the tour, we're having someone sign their rights away. I found that was starting off with a very negative taste in the mouth. We send this link out now before the tour. We get 100% compliance, no one complains. It's yippy skippy done, and it's easy. And that has been a game changer. Which company is that? I believe it's WaverElectronic.com. Okay. Uh, yeah, Waver Electronic is cheap. It's easy. It's customizable. We send a link. Uh, also in the field, what I like is my guides can pull it up and they can right away see who and has and has not signed if someone doesn't. And they can immediately just click on it and hand them the phone and they can scroll through, fill out the information and we're done. But we have probably 99% compliance before the tour ever begins. So we don't even have to mention it or bring it up. Brilliant. Steve, where can people find out more about your tours? Our website is salidawalkingtours.com. That's S-A-L-I-D-A, salidawalkingtours.com. Brilliant. Well, you know, I've, I've got a whole list of other questions here to ask you. We've run out of time, which is always a good sign, right? Absolutely. Good conversation. So I, I would love to maybe, you know, in a year's time, invite you back on the show. We'll find out how your van tours are doing, your self-guided and what else is happening with you. Uh, would you be open to that? Absolutely, Shane. I appreciate you giving me some time today. And um, anytime I can help or need me back at a later date, just reach out. I'd love to return. Well, I do want to start hosting more roundtables. So you talk about listening to your customers. You know, I listen to our listeners and they, they really love the roundtables because, you know, you get three or four tour entrepreneurs on talking about OTAs or waivers, whatever it may be. I, and I would love to invite you on some of those in the future. You know, and, and something just came to mind on that. I, I would love to do it, first of all. Uh, something that might be interesting down the road, and, and I find people rarely have the courage to do it, would be a roundtable critique where you take mm -hmm. a company and say, we're, we're having problems with X. Um, I do that locally. I, I bring in once a year uh, business owners that I know and trust and say, tear me apart. How, how can I be better, faster, cheaper? That might be an interesting one. For instance, you know, we, we can't get reviews and have people look at systems that are in the business because I find I'm rarely the smartest person in the room and it's usually someone that has a better way to do it. Yes, I love that idea because one of the things that my goal is here is to flatten the learning curve mm -hmm. for tour operators. And I think that that is a really cool way of doing it. I, I really love the round table we did on um, Olga's architecture tours in Edinburgh where she was struggling to be discovered. And I think those kind of live coaching sessions are, are just invaluable. So if there's anyone listening to the show today that wants to be brave enough to be the first person to come with a challenge, uh, drop us an email at tourpreneurshow at gmail.com. And uh, I'd love to get that uh, up and running. So thank you for that great idea, Steve. Shane, and if no one does, I'll raise my hand. Uh, my, my ego is pretty solid, so I'm fine being ripped up. Brilliant stuff. Thank you very much for your time. Wish you all the best. Shane, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on today. And uh, this has been a fun experience. So thank you for having me. 
Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.